0: Soft skills are really relational skills. And the old frame of management is one where a manager is a supervisor. They're meant to extract outcomes and ensure that people are in compliance. Now that doesn't work today because the workforce these days, there's a lot of knowledge work, a lot of innovation, creativity, persuasion, and adaptability are a part of business. And the old manager doesn't know how to tap into that. The new manager is a relational master.
1: Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf.
2: Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder Nazar and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago.
1: One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably gonna contribute more at work.
2: Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers and maximize everyone's potential. Welcome to 155's best self-management podcast. We're on a mission to create highly engaged, high-performing organizations by helping people become a better version of themselves. My name is Shane Metcalf.
1: And I'm David Hassel.
2: We're really excited today because we're gonna have some 15Five employees actually joining us on our podcast. So today we have Emily Diaz and John Grinewald who run Transformational Services. A little bit about John and Emily, John is our Chief Performance Officer and brings over 20 years of global cross-industry consulting experience to help develop leaders and teams through progressive leadership and management development programs. John is also the former chief people and culture officer at Shark Ninja, where he built the talent development function, trained over 500 leaders and managers during his tenure and implemented 155 across the entire 1,600 global full-time employee population. Now, John, you know, when I came and gave a talk on best self-management, you had told me I was going to get a, a Shark Ninja product, like a vacuum or something. I still haven't gotten that vacuum, man.
3: Really? All right, I'll have to pay retail for it, but I'll get you Yeah, all right, all right.
2: <laughs> uh, Emily Diaz, and Emily is really special. Emily was actually the fifth person that joined 15.5 back in 2013. And the uh, first person that I ever hired as a part of the company Emily has been with us forever from the very beginning. She is our Director of Transformational Services, a division that she created after identifying the need for organizations to teach vital skills to their people, skills which in turn supercharge the impact of 15 performance management software. Since joining our founding team seven years ago, she's served as advisor, trainer, and coach for companies across all industries, including Visa, Tesla, Citrix, and Thermo Fisher. Our experience across domains informs the creation of unique and powerful programs that train core professional competencies. Welcome to the show, John and Emily. It's
3: great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for this having is us.
1: Great. Well, this is just really fun. You guys listening who get to, you know, just kind of hear how we work together, how we talk about things. Emily and John are two of my favorite people at 155. And uh this should be a wait, great wait wait you play favorite david <laughs> sorry shane and everybody <laughs> else all 200 of
2: our employees um <laughs> All my, all, favorite my favorite. all my favorites. All my favorites. So, I think what's really cool, and I think part of the story we'd like to explore today is that 15 and 5, we started off as a software company. And over time, we really understood that look, you can give somebody a hammer, and you know they might be able to build a building, or they might just smash their thumbnail. And the tool alone isn't enough. And so, you know The need for actually going in and changing hearts and minds and doing some deeper cut work with companies I think is really where transformational services arose from. Emily, you, you saw that need. And I remember I, I, I was like, ah, we're, I do not want us to become a consulting company and actually had quite a bit of resistance to it. I'd love to hear just from you what that process was. What were some of the original things that you did see that had you actually want to take us in the direction of providing services? to our customers.
0: Yeah. So like Shane said, I was the first customer success manager at 15Five. So I was the person kind of talking to all of our customers when they came in the door. And at that point, we didn't even have a sales team. So you would sign up for a trial and then you'd get some automated emails and I was um, having a lot of intimate conversations with people leaders and C-suite individuals about using a tool like 15.5. And in those conversations, one of the things that came out was we would talk about product, but then invariably it would the conversation would shift into... Their real challenges. They're really suffering with making sure that their managers knew how to be managers. And they would start asking questions like, well, how do I do one on ones? Or how do I teach my people how to give feedback? And so, over the course of several years, and I really love being an advisor and kind of strategist. And it was just my favorite thing to do was to talk to people about their goals and help them. So over many years of having these impromptu conversations and hearing what was really coming up, it was this light bulb that went off that said, you know, we're a mission-driven company. 15.5 is not just in the business to create a widget, a tool, right? We're actually here to transform the world of work. And it was clear to me that there was uh, a great promise to actually help with habits and skill sets. So it just seemed like it was the next step for us to to actualize into our fullest potential as a company. We had the software, but we needed more support and training uh, around change management and manager effectiveness, right? A lot of people are looking to empower their managers as they grow with skills that are going to lead to a healthy, high-performing team. Hmm. So that's where it started. That's where the idea came from. And... From there, we've just incorporated a lot of our learnings and discussions and have done a lot of research on what sorts of skills people really need help with and have partnered with thought leaders and experts. And now we have a really great team of brilliant minds who care. And we're all about training those skills and habits.
1: So awesome. Just the stand you were for seeing the opportunity and creating that and moving us in that direction. You know, I think that, you know, we're all aligned now that 15.5 15.5 is going beyond this place of being just a software company into being, you know, also an education company and also a company that can deliver transformation through services and education alongside the software. And so this is, I think, one of the, one of the ways that we're able to really live that core value that we have now of create customer transformation. I don't think it would be possible uh, without this. So, John, you know, you have a unique background in how you ended up here, you know, having mm-hmm. bought the product in your former role. Right. Uh, I'm curious, like, from your perspective, what did you see was the opportunity, uh, you know, to, to bring kind of your experience also having been in services for 20 years prior to that chief culture officer role alongside the software? I'm curious, how, like, how do you think about it and what the, what the opportunity is to deliver education and services alongside software?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I, and I want to build on what Emily said, you know, as a customer, when I was looking for a performance management solution... We looked at a lot of different competitors out there to 15.5, and we ended up zeroing in on and picking 15.5 for the very reason that we're talking about. I, It was clear to me that 15.5 wasn't just a, a tool. It was There was a philosophy behind it that really resonated with my own commitment to transformation. And... Um, inspiring leaders and managers and teams to grow and develop and produce amazing results in their organization. So as a customer, that really was the biggest reason why I picked the tool. And then to have the team come over, Shane come over, do some talks, um, be a part of some of the development work that we had to build around it to bring out these principles and develop them further into our managers' had me see that 15.5 was seriously committed about um, changing the world. And that's really what I've been doing for the bulk of my career. So one, it made a lot of sense for me to bring it in and then really build the support around it. But then when I left Shark Ninja, the first company I wanted to be a part of, of course, was 15.5 because of this. And I saw the opportunity that the company was building and, and Emily had spearheaded and saw an opportunity to really bring my expertise to help build and expand it. And that's what we've been doing since I walked in the door day one. Um, And we're very excited about what we're building and creating and the impact that it's having on our customers.
1: Awesome. I'd love to talk about that word transformation because I don't think a lot of people maybe don't understand exactly what that means. I think, you know, when we talk about customer success, for example, a lot of things out in the world where people talk about customer success and what they mean is we want a department that's going to help our customers be successful with our product. As opposed to our customers being successful in their life, where the product plays some bit part in that. Similarly, I think that there's a way that you can deliver services, and people want to, you know, learn something or get some knowledge. But transformation is like a whole different thing. Like Emily, I'm curious, like what does that mean to you? And then John, also, uh, you know, what what are your thoughts around that word transformation?
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny. I remember the day when I, I was kind of sitting in the office, there was a whiteboard and I was like, what are we going to call this department? What are we really getting at here? And I remember Brad, our chief revenue officer, um, was sitting in with me and we we're kind of brainstorming around it. And um, we ended up landing on the name transformational services for the main reason that a lot of times in the business world, you see professional services, right? Which are very transactional. You can go to any software company and pay extra money to have, you know, an API connect, or maybe have somebody come in and consult on, you know, technical stuff, or maybe additional product trainings. But they're very transactional. You know, you you kind of come in, and then you get something, and then you know, the the team just helicopters out. The reason why we are transformational services is that we are aiming to be partners in the transformation of cultures. And that is not a lightweight thing. That is not coming in and just dropping tasks and tools and checklists. It's about engineering the aha moment that translates into lasting behaviors. So we really partner with customers to help them and help their teams acquire new skills. And learning Learning is an iterative process. You don't just Read something or watch a video, and then suddenly you've got it. There, it's it's something that we commit to transformation through multiple modalities of, of understanding how do people take new information in? What is the importance of repetition, discomfort, encouraging people to embrace discomfort while they are learning so that they can gain mastery. So transformation is what we we design for. And we do it through coaching and questions and Socratic conversations and repetition. And John has had a lot of experience providing transformational experiences for people leaders and coaches. And, and so, you know, there's, there's a whole methodology around here, which is only given and gained through experience. And I, I think John can share a little bit about what that means to him
3: yeah, and I think of it transformation as a permanent change. Um, mm. and the, And the term that I've used you know throughout my career is breakthrough. Like when someone has a breakthrough, an individual, an organization, there's no going back. It's now fully embedded and they're not looking back. their their mind has changed. They're thinking differently about the situation or the future or themselves. So there's a bit of a mindset shift that happens. but to Emily's point, that doesn't happen in a one-off workshop or training session. Not that that's not valuable and, and you can't learn that way, but there is something about an overtime approach where you're learning skills and you're putting them into practice in the flow of work that really begins to cause the transformation that most people are seeking when they're trying to grow and change or you know, um, increase the performance and engagement in their organization. So it does take time and it does take a, a commitment and a diligence to do it. That's really at the bedrock of any, any kind of transformational endeavor.
2: And I love that we are calling it transformational services because at the root of what we're attempting to do as a company is say, hey, work can be a transformational experience for the better. We can design our companies so that people leave our companies better than they started. And that that really does take a transformational approach to management. And so, again, I think it's uh, saying, hey, if we can help transform managers... If we can take you from a level two manager and transform you into a level 10 manager, that is going to have a disproportionate impact on not only all of the performance of your employees, but also their overall satisfaction and well-being. Yep. And so I think that it is a more holistic approach to understanding, hey, we're complex, dynamic human beings inside of our company. Since we don't want transactional trainings anymore, we really are saying we need to be transforming because the world is transforming and we need to keep up with the world. That's right. I don't want to make this too much of an infomercial, but I would love to know what is on the menu. You know, what are we actually offering to our customers? And how does it actually move from transactional to transformational? Like, how does the transformation actually happen?
3: It's hard work. And yet it's important work. And the benefit of it is, even though it may be challenging to kind of have that breakthrough and move yourself to the next level... It's an amazing experience and anybody who had a breakthrough or a transformation knows how amazing that can be because, again, there's no going back and you're now in a whole new space. So, but to do it, we've got to do it over time. So our programs, what we've designed and what we're working with our customers on is a there's a systematic approach. It's a It's a learn, practice, apply methodology so that it's spread out over time. So it's a series of sessions. We have a program called the Manager Accelerator, which is a series of seven sessions. And we're working on these key factors that are critical to managers being effective. That the software 15.5 promotes, but the program embeds. Um, and really makes it a part of how they go to work and lead and manage every day. So I think that's a really big element. So it's gotta happen over time and you gotta give people the space to be able to apply it real time in their job and then come back to be able to debrief, talk about it, learn more, put it back into practice. So over a certain period of time, three, six months, you should expect to see um, change in yourself and others that, that are going through that kind of approach.
2: You said that you spoke to the that it is hard work. You know, transformation doesn't just happen to us. I mean, sometimes it, it does, but often it does require effort from our part. I'm curious if you've seen, is there a certain level of engagement that is needed from somebody before they're willing to take the idea that, hey, I'm going to create breakthrough. I'm going to create transformation in my job in my professional life before they're willing to actually lean into that hard work?
3: Yeah, I would say absolutely. The more open you are to it, the more you're willing to embrace it. Um, admit that you don't know or you don't have it all figured out, which is not always easy for people to do. You get people, and that's part of what we're doing. We're, we're, we're prepping people prior to even coming into a program like that to make sure that they've done enough of some of self-awareness. Uh-huh. They, um, they've got some goals set for themselves about how they want to grow so that they're at stake to your point, Shane, in the conversation, it's not just, okay, you know, teach me what you need to teach me. I'm invested in my own growth and transformation. And that's really a critical element to it.
2: I don't know. We might, we might, uh, have a bigger business if we just go for transactional
3: services, <laughs> yeah, you know, right, because
2: right. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is an interesting thing that not everybody wants to grow. And so it's an interesting dynamic of, how do we pace the market? How do we provide services to people that are maybe disengaged and get them from disengaged to engaged at a baseline and yeah. then take them from engaged to great, to you know passionate, to fully leaning in and owning their experience and their careers?
0: Mm-hmm. So I have something to add to that. A lot of the people that we speak with across all different industries, they're usually HR leaders and kind of L&D leaders. The best companies out there right now, the ones that are really making it and and making a difference are ones that acknowledge um, that the the environment of work is one where their people are supported and thriving. Hmm. Nobody wants to be at a job where they feel like they're just a cog in the wheel and they're just doing, you know, work that doesn't matter. So I think when you ask Shane, like, what are the qualities of transformation and how do you encourage transformation in your company? the things that we find are really understanding that work can be a source of satisfaction Mm -hmm. and then creating an environment where people see that there is a better way. And so there's a bit of unlearning of old habits. Sometimes there's toxic behaviors or or, or stories that get in the way. You know, people sometimes tell stories about their work environment and they say, oh, well, my manager doesn't want to hear from me or, oh, I'm not important. And so what we find is if we train managers how to dismantle those stories with their people by applying recognition and appreciation, for example, or creating cultural rituals and habits that get people more invested and more involved in their work, then human psychology does a lot of the heavy lifting because people naturally want to go into that state of positivity. Hmm. And so sometimes it's just about training habits that remove the negative baseline. Hmm. And I think this is where some change management efforts sometimes fall short, is that you have to paint a picture of a better future before you can get people walking to that drum. That's the first... Part of creating transformation.
1: To follow on on that point, so it sounds like there are certain kind of attributes or elements of a culture that would be supportive of that. So you know, you talked about companies that have a commitment or an environment that support people in thriving. You know, are there other attributes that you see for companies that are really good at learning? Either one of you that are they're really good at learning, really good at growing, that have the you know, what are some of the other key elements that? you know, a leader would need to think about putting in place in order to create an environment where you can maximize that chance of
3: of transformation and learning and growth. I think psychological safety is huge. It has to be okay to grow. And the best environments I found are the ones that make it cool to grow. Like that's what it's all about. And we're never done growing. And there's a narrative in the organization where it's like everybody's got to grow and there's it's an incredibly rewarding journey to do so. Well, and that comes from the top. Leaders have to kind of lead in that way and create that kind of space for people and challenge them to do it, but also give them room to fail or not grow the way they want to grow or not succeed the way they, they, they want to succeed. It's just It's just got to be part of the equation and it's got to be okay to do so, I would say. Mm, that's great.
0: The other thing I will say about that to John's point is that, um, when you have an organization where people aren't clear on what's expected of them, then there's a lot less mental space for learning and growing. You know, the job performance comes first, right? A lot of organizations get into trouble when they don't have clarity around roles and then they have their people wanting to step into new positions and new roles. And for a lot of people leaders, that can feel like, Chaos, right? If you want to feel like you're doing a good job at work, you need to know exactly what you're doing, what success looks like, and then create the space for your own professional development. Mm. So
2: yeah. I, I'm reminded, you know, in, in the social science, one of the leading indicators of psychological safety is role clarity. And it's funny because for me, that's not not super uh, intuitive, but actually knowing what. Is expected, what success looks like, what are my day to day responsibilities is a foundation to actually feeling safety. And like I can trust that if I want to lean into learning something new, that's okay because I know where I'm actually standing in the first place.
3: Yeah. And to that point, I also think, again, leaders have to demonstrate that themselves. There's got to be, there's a certain level of humility that's required for some to even venture into that conversation to admit that I may have shortcomings or I may have areas where I need to grow. And if I'm in an organization where my leaders think they've got it all figured out and they're not in that same conversation, it makes a bit more challenging. I think not that you can't do it to be an organic bottoms up kind of uh, a shift transformation, but it's so much better when you've got a leader who's willing to throw their hat over the wall and challenge himself and herself and everybody around them to go for it and and see what happens. Because I've always found that if you go for something that's bigger and beyond what you think you can accomplish, whether you get there or not, you are going to grow and transform in the pursuit of it nine times out of the 10. Yeah, so. that's awesome.
1: I actually was going to ask another question, but in that vein, you know, what what is that? You know, you talk about breakthrough, you talk about breakthrough goals. You know, setting something that seems like unattainable, unachievable. I'd love to explore that concept with you because you know it's something you've you've brought into our dialogue at fifteen five. And curious how you see, you know, putting something out there that is enough of a stretch that has people rise to. Not only just a stretch, but finding some way to actually break through and shift something that would change everything for there on out, while mm-hmm. at the same time not creating something that's so unattainable that you know, you're setting yourself up for failure and it's demoralizing. Like, it yeah. feels like a bit of an art, and I'm curious how you think about that
3: yeah, but well, I think you said it right, David. it's kind of knowing what's just outside of you know what you think you can accomplish in the time frame that you set it up. And it's not that every goal has to be a goal like that. I always believe it's kind of good to have at least one that you're really taking it to a whole other level. I know we talk about aspirational goals it's it's in the same frame. it's But there is a seriousness that you must relate to the goal and achieving the goal. You can't just hope it's gonna happen or... It does take a certain level of drive and commitment to deliver on what you said, even though it may look impossible, particularly as the time kind of goes on. But there is something about that that what I've always found in my previous work, and we did a ton of this at, at Shark Ninja, was getting people to commit to those kinds of things and then watch what happens to them as they literally begin the journey, they start thinking differently, start doing things differently, start to broaden the horizon. So there is a bit of an art to your point. Um, well, it's almost like adding
2: another gear, you yeah. know, that, that uh-huh. really high performers have this, this extra gear that kicks in, when things get challenging or when they're facing a, a large hill.
3: Right. And they're not afraid to go for it though. And the yeah. high performers are the ones that are, are not afraid to fail. We talk, we say that they're not afraid to fail, but no, they're really, they're not afraid to just put their stake in the ground for something that's really outrageous. And But it's also,
2: and- I, I think that it's a habit, right? Because if you've been a mediocre or, you know, above average performer, and you've never really gone for a breakthrough and you do it, I think that doing it once isn't enough. I think mm. we need to get in the habit of breakthrough. You yes. need to get in the habit of, okay, things are tough and there's, there's challenge and I need to be in the habit of continually, not just barely meeting it, but actually leaning in further. Yep. And then it just starts to become kind of a default way yep. so that whatever happens in our life, we have that resilience, we have that grit that allows us to push through and to do things that continually exceed our own expectations of what we're capable of.
3: Yeah. And to your point, the more you do that, the more free you are to commit to those kinds of uh, outcomes. Mm -hmm.
0: So how do you, I'm curious to hear your perspectives. How do you think about training people to have that mindset when they've never had it before? perhaps they've never been in an environment where it's okay to fail. What are some of the ways that you've seen David and Shane to help people Mm -hmm. kind of get into this, uh, the thrill of putting yourself to a new task and stretching and growing despite its discomfort?
1: You know, I I think it, it comes down to that piece around psychological safety and context I feel like one of the big breakthroughs that we had as a company in practicing OKRs, and for you know, if you're listening and you're not familiar with that term, it stands for Objectives and Key Results. It's a goal-setting methodology that was invented in a, Intel by Andy Grove and popularized by Google, and a lot of a lot of folks in Silicon Valley practice this as a, a goal-setting methodology. And uh, one of the things that we had read about and people you know talked about in the Google way was that you know if you if you're hitting all your OKRs, you're doing it wrong. That you should only be hitting 70%. And, and, you know, I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, well, that doesn't kind of really make sense to me because if we say the standard is 70%, then everyone's going to kind of adjust to that level. So like, where's the real, is it really a stretch or is it really not? And we realized that our, in our key results, we should actually be clear and distinguish between a committed key result, which is something we know we can accomplish and we are committed to that outcome and that, nothing less. Or... Different key results could be a different key result of the same objective, could be aspirational. So you might have a you know an objective to hit a million dollars in sales, and you're committed as a million, but you have an aspirational of a million five, for example. And that way you're you're saying I you know this is the area I'm going to stretch through. This is my breakthrough goal, but the minimum I'm committed to is the other thing. And so I I think being really clear with folks that you know we're going to go for it. This is what has to happen. This is the breakthrough goal. Having a concept we had Anna, was it Lundstrom from Spotify on uh, a few weeks ago? And she was saying, you know, the philosophy at Spotify, which I thought was really amazing, and I really want to adopt it here at 15.5, even more so, was that if you know we take a big swing at something and we win, we celebrate. And if we take a big swing and we fail, we celebrate. <laughs> um, because In the failing, it's not like we failed. It's just it didn't work out to our intentions. It's a huge opportunity to learn. Yes. And so we're going to celebrate that. And so I think it's really that culture of celebration. Before my life at 15.5, I used to do uh, strategy consulting for companies. And I was working with a a Bay Area company who was doing about $100 million in sales and hospitality and they actually had, they used to create fun around that. They had an award at the end of the year that they would give to their employee who had the most spectacular failure. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd bring them up on stage and celebrate That's them for excellent. that. excellent. Yeah. So really, really and then fun. they'd fire
2: them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
3: <Yeah, laughs> exactly. Right after. Yeah. yeah. Yep.
2: Your award is you're fired. <laughs> I would add on to that. Because I think that's that's really right. You need to, you need the environment where you can actually be rewarded. And you know I think it's something we're we're working on internally is how do we create more recognition and incentive for high performance. And it's something you know we've done maybe a mediocre job of until this point, and so we're we're saying, oh wow, okay, it's really easy to put attention on low performers, but equally we need a lot of attention on high performers and celebrating and elevating them. And I think that for that level of high performance, for breakthrough, for getting in this habit, we need passion. We need to actually care about the things we are working towards because. What we're talking about is how do we align all the possible motivators that we have as human beings around and and towards the thing that we're trying to do? Yes. And so really dig into what are you passionate about what are you intensely curious about mm. and there's something that happens in our brain and from a neurological level that when we start putting attention on the things that we are passionate and curious about that is going to increase our motivation you know we talk about intrinsic or extrinsic motivation and if you're only extrinsically motivated to hit a goal you're never going to pop it into that fifth gear But if you are connected to your core passion as a human being, not just to make money, but to like what your purpose actually is, that is what is going to give you the the extra fuel source to push through those barriers when you hit up against the inevitable roadblocks that life is going to throw our way.
3: Yeah, and I think that's so good because... The outcomes that you're pursuing, whether they're breakthrough or any outcome, they really should be purposeful and aligned with who you are, who you want to be, the impact you want to make in the world. And if you get that right and you're part of an organization or you're, as you just said, your purpose is lined up with the company's purpose, I really do believe the sky's the limit in terms of what you can make possible for yourself and others. Go beyond what you think you can do.
0: Mm. So, for people who are wondering, Well, how do I do that? What is the lever that I pull? You know, we can talk about Mm -hmm. intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation for days, right?
2: This great exercise is write a list of 25 things that you're curious about and be as specific as possible. Mm.
0: Yes. And I would also add to that, this is where training managers, enabling managers and people leaders to create that space to ask the questions to give the assignment, what are you curious about? Where do you want to grow? How did you fail this week? And what did you learn is like the exponential factor for yeah. organizations.
2: That's a change from manager to coach. Right. You know, yes. Managers, hey, all I care about is the company goals. And I don't even really care about you as an individual to coaching. Hey, we need to hit our goals as a company, but how can you actually bring your full self to the table to really actually knock this out of the park?
3: Right. And which means really properly, well-designed OKRs. I mean, if you do those right, it should put you at least in that conversation. Get everybody on the on the same page for that.
2: Man, I'm so screwed. I still, I feel like I have so much resistance to OKRs, which is horrible, <laughs> right? Beca- given <laughs> given like, the nature of our company. Who does it? Um, I, oh, need, really? I need to hire you guys. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna david tried to <laughs> get me over he's
1: failed we, we we're working on it we're working on it mm-hmm. so manager effectiveness i i think when you know I, I i'd love to just spend a few minutes talking about like what does that mean what are the what are the things you got to teach managers to be highly effective and I, and I think that you know what are some of the counterintuitive things i think it goes into what you were saying is like asking these questions eliciting somebody's passion understanding that intersection of the passion and the strengths in their zone of genius these are kind of not the things taught in kind of traditional manager school, which actually doesn't really exist, frankly. And that's why we created the Best Self Academy. But I'm curious from your guys' perspective, what are some of the highest leverage things that you teach that you feel make a huge impact for a manager being highly effective in
2: leading an extraordinary team? And can you teach a little bit of that right now?
0: Yeah. I think we have a tendency to think of these skills as soft skills. Um, Mm. There's this term in the business world like... You want to hire people that are good at certain soft skills. And I was, somebody was just saying that the, you know, the number four in-demand soft skills right now are creativity, persuasion, collaboration, and adaptability. And what I think is interesting about this is that soft skills are really relational skills. Mm -hmm. And the old frame of management is one where a manager is a supervisor, They're meant to extract outcomes and ensure that people are in compliance. Now that doesn't work today because the workforce these days, there's a lot of knowledge work, a lot of innovation, creativity, persuasion, and adaptability are a part of business. And the old manager doesn't know how to tap into that. The new manager is a relational master. And when I say relational master, I'm not advocating that managers are just really friendly and like get along fantastically with their employees. If it were that simple, all you would need to do is just learn how to be a good buddy. Um, but <laughs> <Right>. there's this, <laughs> there's this balance. There's a spectrum where you need to learn how to relate to your people in a way that still puts the responsibility of their own growth with them. So this includes, you know, having regular conversations about progress, but also regular conversation about professional development and well-being. It's this balance between creating an environment of trust so that I feel like I can come to you as, you know, a team member and share something that is really getting in my way. And then also not trying to solve problems for your people. A lot of times managers will get into this Trap of feeling like they have to have all the answers. That's actually Mm. antithetical to growth because if you want somebody to grow and develop as a team member, you need to encourage them to solve their own problems. So, Shane, your question around like, how do you do this? Teach managers how to coach. And coaching is about creating the right space and asking the right questions. I think that we do this really well as a company. And what we're seeing in in the, the trainings that we're leading around managers coach is that this is like a light bulb that goes off when managers who maybe have never done this role in their lives realize that they don't have to have all the answers. They don't have to be experts. But there is um, a freedom in that that encourages employees to rise up and take more ownership and accountability. And so those are the things that we really want to focus on and train for and get people to embody it and see why does it matter to me.
1: That's great. John, anything to add?
3: I, I, I couldn't He's have stunned. said it better myself, you know? <laughs> it's really... That's great. But I, I do think it is the, the... I always said the soft skills are the hard skills and they're the ones that take a lot of effort and, and you have to put time into it. You have to practice it. And, and again, do it over time to give people the kind of right runway to be able to embed this and put this into the flow of Absolutely. their
1: work. I, I mean, that was a fun conversation that you and I, Emily, had, I don't know, six months ago, eight months ago when we were talking about this whole thing. I'm like, oh, soft skills. And I was like, wait a minute. Soft. They're not, they're not soft. <laughs> really? <laughs> and then we came up with primary skills, I think, in that conversation. And I, I maybe you have, I think there's a different term that we're using. Vital. Now, but vital, but we're skills. vital skills. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think we need a rebrand <laughs> of soft skills because, <laughs> uh, you know, that's it's a bit uh, dismissive of the power. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, John and Emily, thank you so much. How can people learn more about transformational services?
0: Well, we have a website. If you've got an internet connection, you can find out all about us and be in direct touch with us uh, as a team, it's 155.com forward slash services. And there's a form there. You can fill it out, learn about some of the offerings that we have around manager effectiveness, OKRs, remote work skills, uh, all of the things that that really supercharge productive and healthy teams today. We've got trainings uh, and we do a lot of tailoring of content as well. So if you're interested in learning more about how we do that, uh, go to our website and fill it out. We can talk there.
2: With all of the shifting priorities around work, with uh, increased attention on racial justice inside of companies, with remote, how are you seeing the needs of companies evolve and change and and how are we adapting and, and kind
3: of changing with that? It's shifting, obviously. Everybody's dealing with it. There's nuances to leading and managing people remotely that you have to take into account. If they weren't just down the, the hall, like you, you have to really be diligent about it and create time and space, as Emily just talked about, to have these kinds of conversations, particularly as a manager. So I think there's a lot that goes into your prep and your you know, honing of your skills. And I see this as an incredible opportunity for managers in the world to upskill themselves and take it to another level because they need to, frankly, because it's not going back. I mean, there may be some, you know, some return to normal but I don't think so i think people are figuring out that you know this is this is doable and i can actually do it really well and but how do I continue to develop myself and grow myself to be effective um, in this new you know paradigm that we're living in yeah
0: yeah and there's a lot more distractions there's a lot more things t- taking our time and attention away and rightfully so i mean our the, our collective psyche and our individual you know brains are full of things that are causing an emotional response. And, you know, it's it's harder in today's world to focus um, if you're using old methods of just expecting people to leave their life uh, outside of the office door and be fully present at work. That's unreasonable.
3: <laughs> so yeah. I,
0: think, I think the other piece of this is as the world of work starts to find its footing with how do we, you know, go on with business as usual in the face of all this uncertainty, it's about being fluid and giving people a little bit of space to take care of themselves and to really acknowledge what they're feeling. And good managers know how to do this because you can still commit to performance outcomes, but be a little bit more flexible with how people get there. Mm -hmm. And that flexibility is really key because you can't just expect people to work the way that they used to work. And when you teach managers how to put that compass in front of your employees, and then to trust that they're going to get there, and then also see that if they're not on track, you know how can you you know encourage them and support them to get there. People have ups and downs. Performance is never just like you put your foot on the gas and you're going 60 miles an hour all the time. Performance is is often you know like a sine wave. You know you're going to have peaks and you're going to have valleys. And so um, you know I think today's organizations are doing an awesome job of this. They know how to moderate and create environments where people can can find the net positive and be really high performers even with this environment of uncertainty.
3: And I'll add, it's, it's the focus on the what or the outcomes more than the how. Because you have to create, as Emily said, space for people to kind of find out how they're going to get there on their own or help them think of ways they could. But you've got a more heavy focus on the delivery and what they're going to deliver versus you know, telling them what to do, which mm. is more traditional.
2: Thank you both so much. Really appreciate getting you on. Uh, awesome to hear a little bit of the story. I learned some things about our own services today. That's great. Thanks <laughs> again.
3: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you both very much. Mm. Enjoyed it.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Hi. Right. Bye, everybody. Thank you to our producer, counter Creative, to our executive producer, David Misney, and guest coordinators, Sydney Lee and Suzanne Haight. One of the easiest things you can do to help us spread the message of being and becoming your best self at work is to write a review on Apple Podcasts, or just share this episode's link on your favorite social media channel. If you have any questions or comments, please email me and Shane at podcast at 155.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, thank you.